recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. Welcome everyone to another episode of Recovering. I'm here today with Daryl McGowan, Reverend Daryl McGowan. Is that right, Daryl? Um, yes, although the only people who call me Reverend are people who don't know me. So Okay. <laughs> okay, good. So we're starting off on the right foot. <laughs> yeah. Daryl McGowan it is. Um, I met Daryl, how long ago did we meet? Do you think maybe four or five years ago? Yeah, it had to be, right? Yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, when I was planting Q3, the faith community that I planted in Los Angeles area, uh, in Torrance is where it is right now. And uh yeah, it was a, such an amazing connection right from the moment that I met you, Daryl. I think what I loved about talking with you um, is I felt like you had done a lot of work. And I'm sure people will describe that differently. Um, but how I experienced that as someone who has asked really difficult questions, um, done a lot of their own psychological work. Uh, grieved through certain things. I often find the people that I consider very wise, also people who have faced a lot of pain in their life and walked through that. Um, and it just seemed like you were a person seeking truth, uh, wherever that would lead you. And it seemed like a really brave journey as I listened to you and I learned a lot and I found a good friend as well, which I really appreciated with you. Um, and so I had the opportunity to, uh, work on another church plant with you, which went on for a while and then eventually closed down. And that's very interesting because, I mean, we could talk all about that in terms of, uh, you know, what is success? You know, are there meant to be these spaces that pop up for people at certain times in their lives and close? Um, but that eventually closed down and then we both went our separate ways and now we're doing totally different things. Uh, I'm in Cochrane and you are in, where are you now? Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. Right. I knew it was somewhere hot. I just am always jealous of how warm it is. Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting. People think of this as hot, but we're actually right up against the mountains near Lake Tahoe. So oh, it's, so it gets cold, like cold, like snow well, cold or? It's 25 degrees out right now. No way. Okay, well, then I can get rid of that envy. That's great. <laughs> One more problem solved. <laughs> Look at us go. Um, okay, so yeah, today I wanted to talk to you about sex and also what you feel uh, your understanding of scripture in regards to sex. I think that it's um, an important topic for a variety of reasons. And um, I know that there's many different people speaking now about it in terms of faith and uh, the Christian church, but also in terms of psychology. What is a good sexual ethic? I think that things have changed so much over time it, recently in human history uh, where people are single um, longer than ever. They are divorced and having to date and understand what that means. They have children around and involved. And so I think it's a very important conversation. Um, but I also just want to help the listeners understand that, you know, this isn't my forte. You know, I'm not an expert in this topic. I wouldn't think that you would say this is, you know, an area that you're an expert in either. Um, no. So the reason that I, I wanted to get together is because we were just talking as friends and I, I loved our conversation. I loved it. And I thought, you know, this is something that 
even if there's just one thing that people need to hear, you know, that are listening today, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it to have these conversations about topics that you don't normally bring up around the dinner table with your friends, you know, and um, particularly uh, your experience with scripture was helpful for me um, because, yeah, I thought it might be helpful just to give the listeners a little bit about my background. So I became a Christian when I was 19 years old and I wasn't a virgin when I became a Christian. And I'd been, you know, a pretty typical teenager and I'd slept with my boyfriends and I didn't feel great about that. Um, and then when I was, uh, well, actually, interestingly, I, I kind of went on the journey of becoming a Christian. Like when C.S. Lewis says, I don't know if you ever heard this, but he says some people, when they become a Christian, um, it's kind of like they're sleeping on a train. I think he says it's like a train from England to France. And they don't, they were sleeping, so they don't exactly know when they cross the border. They just know that they're in France. They know something's different, right? And then other people were awake and they know exactly when they cross the border. And so I think I more have that sleeping story in terms of I was 16 when my mom became a Christian and she gave me a few cassette tapes from her church that she was attending. And it was, I, I can't even believe there are like, cassette tapes now when I think about it, right? It doesn't feel that long ago. And so um, one of the tapes was about sex, actually. And her pastor was a former drug addict. And the church was in this old curling hall. And it was cool. And there was biker people that went and leather jackets. And people smoked outside the church. So it was really interesting for me as a young person. And the tape, and he talked about it, he said, um, God isn't against sex. He said, actually, sex is so, such a beautiful experience and expression of being human. It's a gift. It's something that God has given us. And, um, the only reason that we talk in the church about, you know, waiting for marriage is not because it's bad if you do it, but it's actually to protect you. It's a safe space where you have this commitment and you're protected and safe. And so, um, that is actually meant to be a, a, a also part of the gift. And it was so fascinating for me listening to this man speaking about sex as a pastor, as a young person. And he really, it made sense to me actually what he was saying. And so I remember playing it for my friends and like, I remember being drunk and going over the bar and like listening to my girlfriends being like, what do you think of this? This is so cool. Imagine if God's like this, you know? And so, um, I did a lot of drunk witnessing in my early days. I think I've mentioned that on this podcast before. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so it actually helped lead me to a relationship with Jesus because it was more of a faith that I could believe in. And it was less judgmental than I thought. And it was describing a God that was, um, that drew me in by that love and kindness. And so anyhow, that, those were the early days. Um, and so it all made sense to me back then because I was young and I thought, okay, I just wait till I'm married and then I get to sleep with my husband and then so be it. And then, you know, now I'm divorced, right? I'm a single mom. I've been divorced for six years and I watch what's happening around me. And that story doesn't fit as well as it did, you know, when I was younger. And so although I really appreciated the person with the microphone in a church, at least talking about sex, um, I just think that maybe it's time to have a more broad conversation. And particularly with someone who also identifies as following the Christian path, um, for those that are trying to do that, 
And, um, and yeah, I just, I thought, you know, this is one of those things again, where I remember being a young woman sitting in church many times, listening to a man, uh, at the front of the room and he would prepare a sermon on certain scripture. And I remember thinking, I wish people would talk about stuff like this more, you know, this, if I get the microphone one day, <laughs> I'm going to talk about these kind of things. And so here we are. <laughs> I got a mic. Nobody gave it to me. I just bought it for myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's where we are today. So, you know, I guess my first question for you is, you know, what is your journey um, with this topic in regards to your own faith story? Were you also someone who earlier in your life uh, really subscribed to the idea that, you know, sex is a beautiful thing, but it's meant to be shared within marriage? Or were you never in that camp? Well, I grew up Catholic, oldest okay. of eight kids um, in a conservative small town. So um, I had, like most teenagers, I think I had a lot of curiosity about sex. I also had a lot of shame around sex. Mm. Um, sex was uh, shrouded in, sh in shame, whether that was masturbation or that was sex with another person. Um, so it was this really weird experience that sex was something that, like every human being, I found enjoyable, but at the same time, I've uh, felt deeply ashamed that I was enjoying that. Um, my first uh, experience with uh, another person was with my girlfriend when I was, well, I wasn't able to drive yet. She was driving, so I was probably 15, and um, she was very experienced and taught me about um, enjoying sex. And I was really confused at that point that something could be so beautiful and so enjoyable um, with two people who were really careful with, you know, we were just very gentle, very careful, very, mm. very loving with each other. And um, uh, it was a it was a wonderful experience. And yet I would go to church on Sunday and be reminded that what we were doing was a according to the church anyway, wrong, um, and just feel deeply confused about that. And of course, you know, uh, I think one thing that reinforced that is we weren't using protection. So it was scary. You know, we would, we would have sex and then we would sit on pins and needles to find out whether or not uh, we had an unwanted pregnancy. Um, so I think all those things work together to kind of form this negative um, experience around sex. And it took me a long time to overcome that. And I was probably, you know, I wasn't married until I was almost 30. So I, I was probably moving into, you know, I was probably engaged, um, waiting for our marriage ceremony when I began to really question that and look at that. And by that point, um, I had seminary training. Um, I'd been in ministry for a number of years. And so my, my inquiry was as much intellectual as it was personal. Um, and so I began to dive into that. You know, what does the Bible really say about sex? What does, um, where did the church's teachings on sex come from? And what I found is that, uh, first of all, you know, the, 
the way we research something in scripture really matters. I love that. Yes. Say more about that, because I think that people just think the Bible says something. And so that's how it is. Right. <laughs> There's a lot so more to it. Than that. The way most people research a topic in scripture is they get what's called a thesaurus. And mm -hmm. it, you can open a thesaurus, you can look up any word, and it'll give you every scripture reference with that word in it. Um, the problem with that is that what the Bible has to say about sex, it often says without using that word. So when you look up mm -hmm. sex in a thesaurus, you get a very, very limited... Right? A concordance or a thesaurus, yeah. Oh, it's like something that's like at the back of a Bible sometimes it has like the word. Yeah, big volumes of concordances. Um, Strong's concordance is one of the most famous. But Okay. Um, if you look it up in a concordance, what you're going to get is just a limited number of scriptures that have that actual word in them. Um, but what the Bible has to say about sex, it often says using terms like love using terms like mm. um, commitment, using terms like faithfulness. Um, though all those scriptures are left out of your study if all you're doing is going to a court concordance and looking up one word. Um, so when I began to look into what the Bible had to say about sex, I did a much broader study. I also took the time to understand the world um, that the Bi that existed when the Bible was written. And that's really important <clears throat> because when the Bible talks about sex, it's talking to people. Um, the writer at that time is talking to a group of people who enter into arranged marriages shortly after they go through puberty. Mm. So, you go through puberty, you're 13, 12, 13, 14 years old, and your parents come to you and say, hey, you need to meet this person. This is going to be your husband or this is going to be oh, your wife. Lord. Thank right. you that I wasn't this, born at that time. <laughs> this is the world they live in, right? Mm -hmm. So just about the time you begin to become aware of yourself as a sexual being, you're placed in an arranged marriage. Um, and so... When the Bible talks about sex, it's talking in a context where people don't have sex unless they're married. Hmm. It's very, very unusual for someone who is has never been married to be in a sexual relationship um, that isn't leading to marriage. And that's another thing we need to understand. In Jesus's day, um, young people were betrothed, and that's when their parents had made the commitment that their children would marry each other. And once they were betrothed, they often were housed together, and they slept together. Um, and if a child came from that, it was considered within the bounds of marriage because betrothal was part of the marriage process. So people became betrothed. They began to share life together, usually in one of the parents' homes. Um, and then the marriage ceremony was also uh, quite often the beginning of their, in their lives together apart from the parents. Um, so. 
sex most of the time when the Bible talks about sex and it talks about sex outside of marriage, it's an issue of faithfulness more than it's an issue mm-hmm. of sex. So if you're having sex outside of marriage, you're having sex in a, you know, while you're married with someone other than your spouse. And that's the issue that's being addressed. So whether we're talking about um, uh, heterosexual or homosexual sex in the Bible, um, we're talking about sex by a married person with someone other than their spouse. Right. That's, That's the big issue is that you've made a commitment. You've promised faithfulness to a particular person. Now you're acting in an unfaithful way. And as a follower of Yahweh, um, the Hebrews and then uh, the Christians who uh, started out, all started out as good Jews um, until Paul began to uh, preach the gospel to Gentiles. Um, These Hebrew people, these Gentile converts um, were being instructed primarily in the issue of faithfulness, which is one of the primary characteristics of their God. Um, If you read the Hebrew scriptures, what you see over and over is a description of God's extraordinary faithfulness. That no matter how many times that people stray from God, move off in their own path, get lost in their own sin, God continually calls them back, welcomes them back, and and literally loves them back. Um, and so we have these incredible stories. Talk about sexual stories. We have stories of, you know, um, a, a couple who, you know, one of whom is, uh, serially unfaithful and the other spouse continually receives his loved one back over and over and over. And this is an example of God's love for us. Now, it's important we understand that story is not a story of how we should treat unfaithfulness in marriage. It's not trying to suggest to us we should continually accept someone back who is incapable of being faithful. What it's saying to us is that God is always faithful. And therefore, as followers of God, and for us, especially as Christians who are following Jesus, emulating Jesus, um, trying to live into the teachings of Jesus, our lives should be about faithfulness more than anything else. So when we talk about sex, it's primarily about, am I being faithful, faithful to myself, faithful to God, faithful to my partner? Um, And I think that is a much healthier understanding of what sex looks like to a Christian is Am I at a point in this relationship with this person where we can even talk meaningfully about faithfulness? You know, and I'm not suggesting that you need to be in a lifelong commitment. Um, Just are you at a point where talking about faithfulness uh, is meaningful and has... um, has some kind of context. So what does it mean for us when we say we're going to be faithful to each other? Um, does it just mean that, you know, I'm for right now, um, 
I'm dating you. That's it. And um, I want to get to know you. I want to learn how to care about you. I want to uh, come to love you in the way that you feel deeply loved. And I want you to know me well enough that you can love me in the way that I, de- I most need to be loved. Um, if we're at that point where we're really beginning to move into a, a relationship that is, is learning how to be faithful to each other, um, then sex can be a beautiful expression of the love that we're creating with each other. And I think that's true even if um, that relationship at some point uh, reaches uh, a realization that it's not going to be permanent, that um, two people may come together, love each other deeply, be deeply faithful to each other, and, and come to recognize that they're on separate paths moving in different directions. Um, and I think biblical love is about continually striving to know the other deeply enough that our actions um, always express uh, love and care and faithfulness to the other. And that should be the basis from which we then move into our other relationships. So, A committed sexual relationship should not only teach us how to be more faithful to our partner, it should teach us how to be more faithful to our friends, to our family members, to our acquaintances, to our our fellow church members, even to the stranger who walks up to us. There's an element of faithfulness in every encounter. Um, You know, when, when somebody crosses my path, I have an opportunity to be faithful to myself, faithful to God, and faithful to them. Um, And primarily, I think of it in terms of faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the gospel that I've committed myself to. I have an opportunity to reveal divine love to this human being. Um, And I think we we don't recognize how extraordinary that is for us as human beings, um, to be invited to be co-creators of the world that Jesus um, inaugurated with his time on earth and the teachings that he left us. He inaugurated that world, but then he he passed it on to us to be co-creators with God of the kingdom of heaven here. So when scripture talks about, you know, and this is another thing that drives me crazy with uh, the way people often interpret the Bible. Whenever you see kingdom of God um, in the Bible, it's not talking about some faraway place. It's not talking about where you go after you die. Right. Um, It's talking about the way we're meant to live right now, Mm -hmm. right here. Right. We we are to be co-creators of this kingdom of heaven. Um, or if, if we don't, you know, that's rather patriarchal language. So oftentimes we use reign of reign of heaven or reign of God um, so that we don't we don't carry over that language. I mean, kingdom may not be a charged word to me or to you, but it, it might be to someone else. So we just it 
that's just one more simple little act of love, you know, um, whether it's using uh, gender neutral language or whether it's uh, uh, being respectful to people whose lifestyles are different than ours, whether it's um, honoring um, uh, people whose political, I mean, in this season in the United States, that's a big right. one. Right? <laughs> you know, uh, how, how do I show love to my neighbor who has a very different political mindset than I have? Um, but all of this, I, I mean, what Jesus taught his disciples is that all of this begins from the most intimate relationships in our lives and then moves outward to all our other relationships. So for the Christian, the most intimate relationship in my life is my relationship with God, with Christ. Right. If if that's not true, then I'm starting from the wrong basis. Um, the most intimate relationship in my life is not my relationship with my spouse or with you know anyone else in my life. It's my relationship with God. And what do I do to nurture that, to build intimacy, to build trust, to build faithfulness? And then from there, I move into an intimate relationship with another. And um, I think when we look at it that way, it becomes much easier when we move into, you know, if we're single or divorced um, and we meet someone and we begin to get to know them and we start thinking, oh, I really, I really like this person. I'd really like to be with them. You know, I want to be more open with them. I want the possibility of a sexual relationship um, to um, to be on the table. Then we begin to ask ourselves, well, you know, what point is that appropriate? And I think if we have that first that 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 primary relationship in place, it's pretty easy for us to discern when that relationship, when sexual expression in that relationship is, is appropriate. Um, because it's, we're thinking, at what point can I be faithful to my relationship with my God as I am relating to this person? Um, and when we can, you know, one of my great, one of the teachers that I really appreciated along my path once said to me, when I was moving through my own journey with this, when you can invite God into the room with you while you're having sex, then you know that your your timing is really good. And I think that's the question we should all be asking ourselves is, you know, do I need to draw the drapes and make sure it's pitch black dark? And make sure that, you know, God has no space in my head um, for me to be with this person. Because if, if I do, then, you know, I probably need to think about whether or not this is really healthy for me. Um, whether this is, is helping me to be a more loving, more caring person. Because that's our journey. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to his disciples that he, he only had one commandment for them. He expected them to, to be faithful in the context of their Jewish faith, but he added one commandment and that was to love their neighbor as themselves. And 
that commandment didn't come with exceptions. Love your neighbor unless they're conservative or love your neighbor unless they're gay or love your neighbor unless they're old or young or there were no exceptions. It was just love your neighbor. And I think if we would just hold on to that and remember, I am an ambassador of divine love. That's the commitment I've made. My relationship to Christ is to develop an intimate relationship with the one who has always loved me and then to move into the world as an ambassador of that love. Okay. I have a few questions. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So a few questions. So, um, there was a few, quite a lot that you covered in there. And I know that people listening probably have varying views. So some people listening are probably on the side of like, no, I still think that if it's me or if it's my children, I want them to wait until they're married. Um, I don't want to just, you know, give them the keys and tell them to drive and whatever, wherever the car crashes kind of a thing. Um, and I don't think that you're saying that by any means. Um, but I know that people with really firm views will maybe feel that. There's mm-hmm. also people listening who um, might say, you know, I, I really like that idea of uh, can I be faithful to this person? However, um, you know, I think sex is a, you know, a positive expression of who we are. Um, I could love my friend, you know, friends with benefits, but I wouldn't call it that. It's just a friend that I love in this way. But I don't know if that's going to be my partner. I'm still dating, meeting other people. So I'm really curious, you know, um, I have some questions about that because for example, when I work with people who are on the second side that are more in the terms of like, you know what, I think it's fine. I go on dates. If I, if we end up sleeping together, whatever, one thing that I've noticed, and so this isn't a, like a moral judgment or anything like that, but one thing that I've noticed is, um, I watch how that person isn't ready for what's happening for them. Like they haven't done the work in the relationship to emotionally connect and to process anything. And so it's really awkward then because it's like, they've gone so far and known each other in such an intimate way physically and and emotionally and spiritually because something happens in sex, but they're trying to play catch up. Like when they're just hanging out and sitting around and they don't really, you know what I mean? And it gets really awkward. And so, um, I'm, I'm curious what you would say to that, to people in that situation, because there are a lot of people who are, you know, they're not virgins, you know, they're in their, you know, teens, twenties, thirties, forties, they go on a date. Um, they, you know, are making out with the person they sleep with them, you know, and then they kind of wind up waking up going, Oh, what do I do now? Um, so for myself as a therapist, I've just seen how, um, we've had conversations about, well, were you ready for that? Like, did you really, did you really want to do that? And, um, you know, just, just understanding it from that basis. So what would you say to someone in that position where maybe they are on the side of, you know, I don't think I should necessarily have to be faithful or in this committed relationship. I do sleep with people. If I happen to be on a date with them or enjoy this or have tried friends with benefits, et cetera, what would you say to them? Well, you know, working backwards, uh, with the, the more recent question that you asked, um, I say, the big question again comes down to um, faithfulness to yourself. But you mm. and I both know that it's really hard to be faithful to yourself if you don't know yourself. Mm. Right? So the first thing you need to do is you got to take some time. 
to get to know yourself. And, and, and that requires, um, what, <clears throat> what the big book calls, um, rigorous honesty. Um, most of us, we know ourselves and admit, uh, to ourselves, those aspects that we find more acceptable, more palatable. Um, but it takes a lot of work to come to grips with those aspects of ourselves that are, are less desirable, that are less beautiful, that are less, um, you know, that we're less likely to display in public. But they're a significant part of who we are. Um, and it just takes time and effort to get comfortable with who we are, all of ourselves, and to be able to bring that into every relationship. And if we do that work, we're far less likely to be sexual with someone before we're ready, because we're going to be paying attention to where we're at, and we're going to be faithful to ourselves. So I'm going to be noticing when I'm a little uncomfortable, when I'm starting to feel some anxiety, um, when I just need more of a foundation in a relationship before I become totally vulnerable with another person. And sex is an act of vulnerability, no matter how you approach it. Um, a lot of people can uh, kind of push that into the back of their mind so that they have less conscious awareness of vulnerability. But it's still, I mean... You know, there's just the act of taking your clothes off makes you vulnerable. Um, so to be that vulnerable with another person, you you want to make sure that you are are comfortable standing naked before them, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. It's saying, this is who I am, all of me. And will you take all of me into your arms? And will you hold me close and will you love me and will you uh, be gentle uh, with all the different aspects of me? If I'm at that point, then sex is an amazing experience because to be, there's nothing more powerful than being welcomed and loved and rece deeply received um, in all of our vulnerability and all, all of who we are. So usually when people have sex and then they don't feel good about it the next day, it's because they weren't really faithful to themselves and they had to leave part of themselves outside the room. And that doesn't feel good. It feels like, you know, um, I, I brought my sexual organs and I brought part of my brain, but the rest of me wasn't there. Um, you know, especially my spirit and our, our spirit is, I'm not using that in a, in a, strictly religious way. I'm talking about our spirit being that deepest part of ourselves, that that part that, you know, when we say, um, I'm hungry, it's not the part of us that feels hungry. It's the part of us that is noticing that I'm hungry. It's the, it's the, the awareness behind um, the, the initial experience. That's our spirit. It's the deepest, deepest part of ourselves. And we need to do some work to get in touch with that. And we should probably, um, that's, that to me is the part that a lot of churches are not doing a good job of helping people with is how do you, how do you establish practices that 
help you to become uh, help you develop self knowledge and help you to come into an intimate relationship with God. And if we did a better job of that, we'd have a lot more healthy people moving around in the world and, and moving into relationship with each other. And sex wouldn't be a big issue. Um, they'd be right. entering into sex when they're ready to enter into sex. Okay. That's very helpful. Yeah. Because I think that there's something about on at the same time, you know, even if the church says, okay, well, wait, or, you know, whatever people say, um, there isn't a lot of modeling even of, well, how do you have that conversation? Like, how are people able to say, you know, I'm not ready for this. And these are the reasons why. And it's not, again, this horrible moral judgment. It's not a shameful thing. It's a beautiful thing, but I'm just not ready to go there with you right now in this time, something like that. So I think these mm -hmm. are, again, great conversations that we're at least trying to have um, so that people can really consider, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense to me. So how do I know myself better and really get honest with myself? That's one thing I love is we both have a 12 step background. And so that helped me to get so much more honest with myself, but it's still a journey. I mean, there's still so many things that are unknown and that I'm discovering and some things I only discover through experience. That's the other thing, you know, for people listening is, um, you may think that you have this figured out and you have your own, you know, sexual ethic and those kinds of things. Um, but then you might face things in life where you feel differently or your heart changes or you have to try something and then realize, oh, I actually don't like the way that I feel, or maybe I am growing right now or something like that. And again, I don't think that it's the worst thing in the world if we are somewhat just, there's a bit of discomfort, but we're also growing. I think that's something that I've had to learn is that initially in my journey, um, because I have a lot of fears and anxiety, if anything seemed a little bit, um, like out of my typical comfort zone, I would just snap back, you know, like a turtle kind of pulling back in. Um, mm -hmm. but I've had to realize that there are ways in which I'm growing that I'm, I'm still learning and I'm still, um, so I think that people have room to explore and I think that people have room to make mistakes. I mean, people don't, I just want people listening to feel like they don't have to get it perfect. Uh, we're all figuring it out together, you know, because again, this is, especially if people are trying to follow the Christian path, um, this, we don't have the stories written about this. We don't have an exact, you know, a writer that's writing scripture at this particular time in history. Um, yeah. so there is something about the group conscience of the church and, trying to lean on one another and the wisdom of the spirit within one another. So yeah, I'm finding this all really helpful. Another question that I had was about young people because I am raising young children, right? And um, I have some that have, are my stepkids that have launched and I have a teenager and I have a 10 year old. And so I often think about how do I talk to them about this? And the great thing so far is that we can at least talk about it. I feel like that's the most helpful part because if they can talk to me, then they can process what they're feeling, et cetera. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, what you would say for young people, because on the one hand, it seems like they're not going to be ready, like with what you've described in terms of knowing themselves and being mm -hmm. faithful and those kinds of things. However, I've also encountered these situations where, um, young people, for example, one person that I know of, um, you know, he waited a long time until he got married, you know, mid twenties, late twenties, something like that. And his, because he waited because he wanted to be a good Christian, his only experiences with sex and sexuality was with pornography. 
And so everything that he learned about sex was so, you know, dark and harmful and just not the way that it is. And so I am actually thankful that when I was a teenager that I did sleep with people because it was how you described, you know, it was learning about one another. It was kind, it was safe. It was, you know, what, you know, those beautiful things. And so I'm so glad that that pornography wasn't my exposure to sex and, and that that right. wasn't what I brought into a marriage. Um, so what would you say for young people? Well, first of all, just to backtrack, I'm really glad you said that about um, imperfection. We're going mm. we're, we're gonna to do this imperfectly, like everything, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, and, and this is just letting all of us off yeah. the hook. Cause I was kind of right. like, this sounds beautiful, but I'm like, I don't know if you can it's, do it like it's this. It's great <laughs> to have ideals. It's really important to have ideals. Um, but it's also really important to recognize that, you know, we're not God. We're going to do everything we do imperfectly and it's okay. It's perfectly okay. So yeah, when we look back and we go, oh man, I, I don't really feel good there. I, you know, maybe I moved a little too fast. Maybe I, it's okay. It's okay. Give yourself time to figure out why do you feel uncomfortable? What do you need to do now? It's always easy to take a step back and just say, you know, I, I'd like to move just a little bit more slowly or whatever you need to do to get back to a place where you can be faithful to yourself. Um, when it comes to kids, I think, you know, we, we all know that, um, our kids are going to be, are going to believe that they're ready for something um, before they are as ready as we'd like them to be. Um, most kids are anxious to take something on before they really have the tools to take it on. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, some kind of sport or if it's driving a car or if it's having sex. And so, that's why we that's that's why we in this culture have children stay with us as long as we do. And now children have a tendency to stay with us or return to us even longer. Um, and part of that is because in a really complex world, they need support and they need guidance to be able to navigate that in a way that isn't harmful to them or to someone else. And I think. Um, we have a responsibility to give them the tools to navigate something. I mean, come on, would you put your child behind the, 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 the drive, you know, in the driver's seat of your car, hand them the keys and say, now, good luck with that. Get out there and, and <laughs> give it a try and then come back here and we can talk about it. No, you, you know, you, you give them driver's training, you drive with them, you go through this long process to teach them how to drive a car because they can cause harm to themselves or to someone else if they don't do that well. Um, sex is the same way. And yet it's it's amazing how many, I mean, how about you? I, I know my experience, when I first had my first sexual experience, I'd never had a sexual conversation with a parent. Nothing even remotely. Definitely not. No. And I think about that in terms of shame that you spoke about at the beginning of this conversation. Like it's visceral. I can remember that feeling of coming home late and 
you know, getting the looks and I just, you know, it's kind of this like silent slut shaming kind of a thing. And many times I didn't do anything. Like it was just, I mean, I'm at throat drinking with my friends or something like that. But, um, I see even now where there's more healing that needs to be done in my life. Um, and then it just, it seemed like becoming a Christian just piled that on, you know, there's enough shame in my family and then becoming a Christian made that worse. And so, um, I understand that people are trying to heal and in some ways they're trying to heal together. They're trying to experience things that are good and true and beautiful together, even if maybe they aren't doing it perfectly like we talked about. Um, right. so yeah, so I think that I love this idea of talking to my kids about it. I do feel like I have to find better books. Um, and again, it's, it's difficult for me because, um, just like this conversation today, I really love the 12 step principle of, I want people to take what they need and leave the rest. You know, they might agree with certain things that you've said or questions I've had or whatever the things that have been said, they may totally disagree with other aspects of this conversation. And that's okay. Because again, as I look at, um, the world of psychology, philosophy, uh, Christianity, there's always a variety of opinions, right? And we're just trying to have a conversation. And this is just our contribution to the conversation, right? That's it. Um, so I just love that idea that people can, you know, take what they need and leave the rest. Yeah. And I think it's important for people. I mean, a lot of times we assume because we've heard something in church or because we just adopted something somewhere along the way. And we're not even sure where we got it. It's just now that's part of the baggage we're carrying around. Um, it's important for people to dive into their tradition. So if you're a Christian, dive into the scriptures, dive into the gospel, see what Jesus says. Um, one of the things you'll notice is Jesus doesn't talk much about sex at all. Uh, there's very, very little in there. As a matter of fact, um, if you're trying to develop a Christian ethic, it might be helpful to notice that Jesus talks about money 10 times as much as he talks about sex. So <laughs> when it comes to ethics, Jesus is a lot more concerned about what we do with our resources um, than he is about what we do with our bodies. So it's important what we do with our bodies. But in terms of Christian ethics, it's just one aspect of living. And we should be really ready to forgive ourselves. And we should recognize that uh, we're, as we said earlier, we're going to do this imperfectly. But we should also recognize that our culture has built this into a much bigger issue than Jesus ever made it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so helpful, yeah. Daryl. Well, I could keep talking to you about this for a long time because I feel like there's still lots of questions that I have, you know, as a parent and as a woman and, and, you know, for a lot of different reasons as a Christian. Um, But yeah, I think that it would be helpful maybe if you could just uh, close our time together with a prayer or blessing. I think maybe you also have a reading, something like that. I think that would be meaningful. And I, I think the good thing about this feeling for me, like an open conversation still, and it's it's undone and I'm not totally settled. I think that's a good thing. I think that there's something about, um, this area of our lives. Uh, even if people are married listening, I remember being married. I still had questions, you know, there's still questions about, are you using your partner? Are you really loving them? 
Um, you know, what kind of thoughts go through your mind when you're having sex? Like, you know what I mean? That's another question. Why are there things that seem really, you know, sexy and hot that are bad? And, you know, there's a lot of questions, right? So I think that there's many, many things that we could talk about, but I, I like that feeling of at least we're opening the conversation. At least people can start thinking about this. And, and I also, one more thing I meant to mention that we have in common in this 12 step background is the big book talks about people establishing their own with their God, their own sexual ethic. So that's another thing that people can consider is what if you took the time with your own higher power, your own idea of goodness, your own God, whatever you call that. And you really try to come up with what your ethic is for right now, for today, and then ask for help to live into that. Because that was very inspiring to me that at least there is this other spiritual path that they don't tell you what to do, but they don't tell you not to think about it either. So yeah, that's another encouragement to those people that are listening. But if anyone else listening is feeling a little unsure and undone and has way more questions than answers, that's where I am too. So I don't think that's a bad place to end. <laughs> well, you know, if, if people listen to us and all it does, I mean, they may disagree with everything I've said. If all it does is get them to have a conversation, mm. have a conversation with their partner, have a conversation with their child, have a conversation with someone they trust, um, then we've, we've done something good because it, this is just one of those topics we don't talk enough about. We, we need Amen. to talk about it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So good. Okay. So yeah, what have you got for us? Uh, um, can I call you Reverend now? <laughs> sure. You call me Reverend if you'd like. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Every now and again, I need a little like official blessing. So <laughs> yeah, let's make it well, official. You know, we all have core scriptures. Those things that are the bedrock of our faith. Um, and my core scripture is a little different than other people. This is one that we don't hear enough, and I wish we heard it more. This is First John um, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Mm. And we just ask a blessing on anyone who listens to this podcast, on our families, friends, on anyone who crosses our path, that we might be the instruments of love that God calls us to be, that we might first welcome divine love into our lives and then allow it to overflow to all those who come into our path, enter our circle, or become a part of our lives. I pray in the name of Jesus, and I add my prayer to yours by whatever name you pray, that we, as Jesus prayed, might be one with one another. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Daryl, for your time. Great to be with you. Recovering is about listening, and it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes, you can share this on Facebook or Twitter, or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Cause we're in this together now.
Yeah, we're in this together now. Nah, nah, nah.